Hey everyone, Alan Smithson here with the XR for Business podcast. Today we're speaking with Stefan Alexander, Vice President of Advanced R&D for North, the company that's created Focals, the world's first consumer AR glasses. And of course, they're also a Canadian company. And we're really excited to talk about their new product, North Focals 2. All that and more coming up next on the XR for Business podcast. Stefan, welcome to the show. Thanks. It's great to be here. Oh, it's my absolute pleasure. Uh, as you know, I, I have had a pair of North glasses for um, almost, actually over a year now. I was one of the first 100 people to be lucky enough to, to get these. I went in for my fitting in Toronto, got these wonderful glasses. I got my little ring and I proceeded to try all sorts of different things and super excited to, to have you on the call and really learn more about what's coming up next for, for North. Yeah, great. Maybe you can just describe the North glasses to the listeners and how they came about. So I, I can give a kind of brief history of how this whole thing started. So uh, originally when North was founded, it was actually called Falmic Labs and the product was a gesture control armband. So this kind of went on your upper forearm. You could make motions with your hand and it would detect your muscle movements and you could control computers, music, do presentation control. But one of the things that they were really passionate about was controlling heads-up displays like Google Glass that had kind of uh, just come out at the time. I was actually the first person hired to not work on the Mayo. That was this armband. And about a year before it came out, they hired me and they said, Stefan, we think that the control of smart glasses and the control of head-mounted displays is really important, but we're not sure if anybody's going to make exactly what we have in mind, what we think is going to be so big, which is glasses that look exactly like regular glasses. And we don't know the tech to do this, and I don't think it exists yet, but can we work on a way to do these type of smart glasses. So I had a display background. I was working in OLED displays. And so I started this research program that turned into the first generation of Focals. And eventually it got so good that it really just took over the company and we stopped doing the gesture control. And we just kind of went all in on smart glasses and changed our name to North. And that's kind of how we ended up where we are. That's fantastic. I wonder, you started off life as a as a gesture armband. And it's funny because I remember this. I, I was part of the Ryerson Digital Media Zone at the time. And uh, I went to Communitech, which is where kind of North was founded, or I guess uh, Thalmic Labs at the time. Yeah, yeah. And I remember going into this tiny little lab with, I think there was probably 10 people at the time. And they said, hey, try this thing on your forearm. And it was this kind of stretchy, almost like a bracelet with a bunch of black sensors on it. And after that, I went on to create the emulator, which was the, the see-through touchscreen DJ controller. And we worked. We ended up working with Armin Van Buren, who was also working with the Mayo wristband. And the way they were using it, which was really cool, is... They had one on each arm, and he was able to control the visuals uh, on stage by just simply reaching up and kind of extending his hand. And that motion of extending his hand created fireworks that came off or, or triggered the fireworks. Right, and, right. You know, it was kind of that moment where, wow, that's amazing. And then I got into VR and AR. And then, of course, this this Canadian company comes along this with these pair of glasses that look literally like just a normal pair of glasses, the arms... Everything just looks like a normal pair of glasses. And when I first got my pair, uh, my daughter, who's 15, she or she was 14 then, she put them on. She said, these glasses are amazing. They're um, really lightweight. They look like normal glasses. She said, I, I'm going to give them a, a 9 out of 10 for the fashionable uh, part of it. 
but functionally they left a lot to be desired there was a very small viewing angle and i think for a first pass of a, a, a product it was pretty damned impressive being able to have an ability to see something at let's say a meter or two meter distance and have like a full heads-up display in front of you so for those of you who don't know these glasses have a little tiny uh, is it, they're monocular so it's only one eye but it's a little projector inside the arm projecting on a little i guess projection film i guess would would be is it a film or is it a it's a special film called a holographic film and the light kind of bounces out of the projector and it doesn't just reflect towards your eye the hologram actually kind of focuses it towards your eye too yeah it's super cool i mean the the amount of tech that's gone into this is just mind-boggling and so walk me through some of the use cases because i know when i got them i don't think you couldn't do very much actually you could see your messages you could see your calendar and that, that was about it uh, at the very beginning. Yeah, there's some maps and navigation. You could call an Uber. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, the Uber thing was amazing. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Imagine you're, you're calling Uber and you see the heads-up display. And it's, rather than checking your phone every five seconds to see if your Uber's there, it would just alert you in a little pop-up thing. And your Uber's here. It, it, that was really cool. I actually used that feature. And then the one thing that I tried to use on stage last year, but it just wasn't quite ready, was the ability to see your presentation notes. And uh, I actually did a presentation last year with the, the focals on uh, trying to, to make this work. It was a, a talk I did at the Miami VR Expo. And uh, I gave the whole talk with my show notes in the glasses, but I just couldn't synchronize it. But that's now a feature, right? Yeah, it's totally working. I actually did it just on stage uh, about six weeks ago at Photonics West. So I gave a talk there at a kind of optical conference, and I was able to control the presentation and look at my notes using Focals, which was pretty, it was pretty cool. That is very cool. And the, the great thing about it is nobody knows you're wearing AR glasses because they just look like normal glasses. And I even got the, the clip-on sunglass uh, adapter and everything. The one thing that I just was amazed by was the little ring. Uh, the ring that controls your interface. And how did that come about? So we had, a, we had a pretty high bar starting off as an interaction company. So if we were going to do smart glasses, the control had to be amazing. And the whole philosophy going into this, and this, this evolved a lot, but this core tenet never changed, where it has to look exactly like regular glasses. And the bar for what that was kept getting higher and higher in our minds like you know it, it's not just enough to look like regular glasses there are so many aspects that are so important with this that we ended up learning and getting mostly for generation one and i feel absolutely completely for generation two but one of those was if you're going to interact with it it can't look strange it can't be unnatural there's no point in having something on your face that looks just like regular glasses and then you're around a bunch of other people and nobody knows you're wearing smart glasses and then you have to reach up and touch your face and hit some touch or some buttons or you have to wave your hands in front of your face or you have to talk to your glasses and give them voice control all those things are fine if you're on your own but then if you're on your own it doesn't really need to look like regular glasses anyway does it like you don't care what it looks like it's when you're around other people and kind of wearing it all day so the interaction had to be completely natural and 
the ring, the thing I love about it is it just seems obvious. Like you use it, you're like, oh, I have to wear a ring, really? And then and then you put it on and you control it and you think, oh, this is actually really cool. Like this is a really great experience and really, really great interactions should be like that. But we have a human computer interaction group and we tested so many different aspects of control. We tested wristbands, we tested scrolling on smartwatches. Uh, obviously we tested kind of moving around with head movements. We tested things with eye tracking for a variety of reasons. All of those didn't work all that well. There was actually something that tested surprisingly well. It, we didn't, we didn't ship it, but you kind of moved your head around as the cursor and then you clicked your teeth in order to activate something. No way. Out of all of the things that I listed, it was actually pretty high. Like it was surprisingly good experience. People are like, because it actually worked. It was pretty subtle. I mean, at the end, of the day the ring was better than like the teeth clicking <laughs> interface but it was just um, we, we did so much cool stuff and the ring it really stood out over anything else because it was just so intuitive and natural it is very intuitive i have done literally thousands of xr demos from hololens to vr you name it the one thing i did find about the the focals well the first thing is nobody could see the visual spot it had to kind of aim it the fact that the field of view is small, that was one challenge. But once they got it, and then the ring, I didn't, you'd say, okay, press the ring, and then nothing else. You don't have to say go left, go right. It's a joystick ring. And once they realize they can click it and move it, you don't have to say anything else. They just, the navigation was super simple and real time. It, it felt right. I'm just going down the, the North site. And for those of you who want to learn more about it, it's buynorth.com. And one thing I totally forgot about is you guys have, microphones built into it as well. So you can actually use Amazon Alexa to help you with stuff. Yeah, the Alexa integration is pretty cool. And it really is. Uh, you, you, the, there's a whole trend in smart speakers now, which I think is great to actually have a screen on them. And you would think, why do you need a screen if you have a smart speaker? But there's actually a lot of times when the result that you want back is best displayed as something visual instead of something audio. So we have that integration in the glasses too. You ask Alexa something, if you ask it the weather, for example, you will get a visual notification of the weather on the screen, which is awesome, which is better sometimes like for a five-day forecast than having Alexa read it out for you. Absolutely. And and one thing that stood out again, like for a, for a V1 glass uh, with a tiny micro projector, and you look at things like the Intel Vaunt, for example, which I believe North ended up buying the, the patent portfolio on, yep. but it was monochromatic. So it was monocular, meaning in one eye, but also monochromatic, it was just red. But the North glasses, you guys created a full color spectrum display, which like, how did you make a, a tiny projector small enough to give a full color display bright enough to be used outside? It just mind boggling them, the sheer science that has gone into these glasses. So this is where I have to give a lot of credit to uh, kind of the CEO and the founders of the company and, and kind of everybody else around us then, because I, I, so we really, really wanted glasses that looked like a regular pair of glasses. And that was the most important thing. And there was just no display technology that did it. This whole kind of laser projector and hologram thing, we had to build that ourselves. It didn't exist in something we could just buy and stick in the glasses like with normal micro displays. So when we were going through it and trying to figure out how it would work, there was a lot of things with it that just weren't working. And one of them was, so first thing I said was, 
it's going to have to be lower resolution. I think like it's, it's text. It's not super HD resolution. It's not going to be 1080p. It's not going to be 720p. It's going to be lower resolution, but I think we can make the display look amazing. I think it's much better to have it really bright and a high quality display, but we can't have a lot of pixels. So that eventually was accepted. And the other thing I said was, do you know how much easier it is to just do red? Red lasers are awesome. They're the best types of lasers. They're the cheapest. And we can just save so much space and cost and complexity in the whole system. I don't even know how to make the hologram work with multiple colors. That's really hard. Uh, and from working in displays, a monochrome display is hard. A color display that has three different colors in it, red, green, and blue. You would think it was three times harder, but it's not. It's usually 10 times harder. It's so much harder because, because of the patterning, because of the fact that you have to overlap these colors. It's just everything gets so much harder. So Well, you're also starting to see things like uh, the HoloLens 2 with their color banding issue. You, you got Microsoft that's invested billions of dollars in HoloLens 2, and they're even struggling with, with some color banding issues. Color is just... it's. it's it's so hard that just the it perceptual is. science behind it and the calibration, it's, it's the display calibration is going to be 10 times more complicated and it's already going to be hard. And so that was something though, that they just didn't give up on They're Like it's, it's fine. Let's prototype some, some monochrome ones, but it needs to be color. It's a consumer product. People need to love these. They need to feel like the display is responsive and alive and something that's monochrome, even though technically like you can list all the use cases and you can't show me a use case that actually needs color, but the <laughs> feeling people get when they use it, it's so important with color. So I lost that argument, but at the same time, we kept working on it and we came up with a way to actually do color in there too. Um, and, and I think it was, it was after I lost the argument actually. So I'm like, okay, I still don't know how to do color, but I'm going to keep trying on it. Well, we'll figure it out. Yeah. And, and we'll figure it out. And we did. And I love the way that it looks, the color. It really does look amazing. And it did make the temple arm slightly bigger. However, for the second generation, we figured out a way to re-shrink it again. And all of the space that we allocated to color is actually now even smaller. So I'm, I'm so glad we put the color on there. That's incredible. I want to talk more about the user feedback. I've had my, my pair since the very beginning, and I have to be honest, I, I don't wear them all the time. It's, it's mainly because uh, when I got fitted for them, and, and I want to talk about the, the fitting system has also changed dramatically for you guys, because when you introduced these, they needed to be fitted to your, to your face. Uh, yep. And you guys created a quite elaborate 3D laser scanning system where you'd go into a room, this laser scanner would kind of go around your head, create a 3D model of your head, and then fit the glasses to that. Yep. Um, since then, the iPhone 11 uh, came out with IR tracking on the the front face or the back facing camera, front facing camera, and allowed you to scan people's faces with just an iPhone. Yep. So is that something you're moving forward with so that you can now expand these fitting locations because you were tied to this elaborate fitting station before? I think the way we started off with this is they need to look like a regular pair of glasses and looking at it, the adjustability of a product, like a one size fits all, you make mm -hmm. a lot of sacrifices and form factor. Like it just drives a lot of space in there. And also the eye box. So this is the property of the glasses that show how much can your eye move and still see the display. And the mm. trick with an eye box is that 
especially with a, a not a very wide screen, the amount that your, your pupil actually moves as you're scanning around the display, it's actually not that high. But the amount that you have to allocate to, let's say, misalignment or slipping or everything of the glasses, that's where the majority of the eye box comes from, which is why you can see it reasonably well when it's on you. But if you put it on somebody else, they can't see it at all. So we said, well, eye box drives a lot of space. So what if we had a small eye box? And what if it, glasses weren't adjustable, but instead, like we packed this eye box and adjustability technology, instead of putting them in the glasses, let's just put them in a measurement machine. Let's put them in our process flow. Let's build it into the rest of the business. If you want to make the glasses as small as possible, I think we just need to become a glasses and a measurement company. And that way people also get a beautifully fit pair of glasses, perfectly adjusted for their head. So that, that was kind of the original philosophy on how to do that trade-off and how we ended up in the sizing in Gen 1. And, you know, it, it worked. It works well. I think there's two big areas where we still didn't like that. And one is you have to go into store. It was awesome if you could go into a store because it was a really cool experience. And the stores were nice. Come on. They were really beautiful. I, yeah, I loved the stores, the whole retail experience. It was so good. And But if you weren't there and there wasn't a mobile sizing truck that we kind of brought around too, then you were stuck. You couldn't buy the glasses. So that, that wasn't great. The sizing app certainly helped with that. So it, it totally resolved that if you didn't have an iPhone 10, somebody else could have probably also, like you could have borrowed it from somebody else or something like that. So that, that increased the availability. That wasn't that bad. But you know, the real thing that actually held us back there is what if you wanted to give them to somebody else to try on? <laughs> this is my exact problem. Yeah. You're so excited about them. We hear this from so many people. Oh my God. I can't even, I'm going to explain it to you. Yeah. I got to explain it as a user <laughs> and somebody in the XR space, I get new technology. Uh, we've got a Magic Leap, a HoloLens, we have all the tech. And we bring it to events and we show people, hey, this is the future. And I love my North classes until I brought them to an event and let everybody try them. Yeah. And then they didn't work anymore. They, they didn't fit me. I had to go get refitted again. Yeah. So the ability yeah. to show other people was hindered in that way. And it, that really, it was a stumbling point for me as a user because you want to share this technology. You know, we're all a bunch of nerds. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. So. And it's, yeah, it's hard when you can't do that because you have this cool experience and then nobody else can. And they have to go into a store and get a special custom demo just in order for you to show them something cool. So then what we wanted for, for Gen 2, and it was also, I think, if people do wear them all day, we said, okay, they have to wear them all day. They have to be really light. The glasses were 67 grams. I think it was like almost one of the lightest ones that was out there. And it's still, after maybe six hours or so, some people were fine and some people felt it was still a little bit heavy. Then we had this goal going into Generation 2 where we said, okay, how about this as a goal? If you can fit the glasses on your face physically, because they still have to be a properly fitting pair of glasses. Not every pair of frames should go on every head because heads are different sizes and glasses exactly. have to look good. But let's just say if these glasses can fit on your head and they look okay and they're not squeezing or pinching you or falling off, then you can see the display. So if, if you should be wearing the frames, if they look half decent on you, then you have to be able to see the display. So that was that was one of the things. The other one is temple arms have to get smaller and it has to get lighter. It has to get to 50 grams. And the only way to do that is really to shave off space and shave off actual components and cut the battery, cut the power consumption. So we had to make it smaller and we had to cut power. And then we also said, I mean, wouldn't it be nice if we could show a little more text on there? Sometimes you don't want a lot of text. 
which is great, like with a message or something like that. You don't want to be distracted. But let's say when you're watching your, your presentation notes, you don't want to necessarily have like six or seven lines of text. It's nice to be able to see all your text in your speaker's notes so you don't have to scroll as you're trying to talk at the same time. So what if we could fit a little bit more on the display too at the same time? And as an engineer, I you do this work and there's no new fundamental physics that we're doing in this. It's just, it's technology. It's combining things. It's understanding trade-offs, understanding what you can do, but it doesn't matter what you can do. It only matters what you can mass produce. So if you come up with some incredible new RGB laser and you can embed it in the glasses itself, if nobody can build it, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. So you, you're pretty constrained. So everything is just managing trade-offs. And so going into Gen 2, you said, okay, well, the whole reason why we did the sizing thing is to keep a small eye box to make the glasses small. So now you want to make the eye box so much bigger, like 20 times bigger, and then you want 10 times the resolution, and you want it smaller at the same time, and it should cost the same price, and we should cut power consumption. I'm like, what are you giving up? Like, you can't. I was like, going to say, what the hell, man? Yeah, like technology gets a little bit better, but you can't, you, you don't just get to do this from one generation to another one. Like, things are incremental. We can use a slightly faster processor and save 20% power, but you don't just get to do this from one generation to the next. But, but <laughs> the team really came together, but we actually managed to patent portfolio. <laughs> yeah. And, the company has raised in excess of a hundred million dollars. Yeah, yeah. In terms of U.S. dollars, it's uh, over one hundred and fifty at this point. Holy moly! So it it costs a lot. That's like a hundred million Canadian dollars. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's it's getting it's not not quite, but yeah, close close to like two hundred million Canadian yeah, dollars. Well, sorry, two hundred million Canadian. Yeah, yeah. It's a lot. And it, it it just it costs a lot to do this development. So we we managed to have an entirely new architecture a lot of the stuff we were working on for gen one that we kind of wasn't quite ready yet and then some other breakthroughs and we managed to have a generation two that is everything smaller higher resolution much lighter and the greatest thing is if you can put the glasses on your face you, you can see them so you can have one pair of glasses and 20 people can see it and that part of being able to show people in the demo, the person, the people who saw the Gen 1 and who wanted to see the Gen 2, the most surprising thing to them, the first thing is, oh, I, I can see the display. This is so cool. Like, it's just, it's just here. There's never an issue there. That's going to be a game changer because doing demos and having people go, I can't see it. And that, that's just like, uh. <laughs> so yeah, this is fantastic. Yeah. And I definitely credit to the the kind of team and also just the whole the, every, even once Gen 1 was in the engineering phase, I had a whole team and we had we had 15 or 20 people way before Gen 1 launched and we were working on Gen 2 technology. The beginnings of this was almost three years ago in terms of the Gen 2. So we, we've been working on it for a long time. So even even when the Gen 1 came out, we said we tech takes a long time. So let's let's keep going with this technology pipeline now that we really really know what we're doing. And the, the team really came together and very deeply understands this. And another, you know, another awesome thing is the suppliers. They believe so much in what we're doing and this product line. They really loved the Gen 1 and participating in there. And so all of them make a lot of custom components for us. We do a lot of custom co-development with our suppliers because they believe the space like us is, is going to be huge. And so we, I mean, we couldn't have done that without, um, 
without those close collaborations too. Because again, it, you can come up with something cool, but if nobody can manufacture it, then it doesn't matter. Yeah, and if you look at just the, the engineering side of the hardware, I mean, that that's spectacular on its own. And really when it comes down to it though, people, once they put it on their face, once they buy into it, the engineering side, the hardware side, the ring, the glasses, the eye box, None of that shit matters at all. What people want to know is what can I do with it and how can this help my life and how can this help my, my day to day? And one of the things that I, I found as a user experience that was incredible, and you guys thought this through, was uh, as I was walking down the street one day, I talking to somebody and my alerts kept coming up. And when you're looking at the alerts, you're looking straight through the glasses. And if you're looking at somebody on the other side, it's really strange when you're looking at a message while looking at somebody. It's kind of like you're staring at them, but you're off in space. You're not really there. Yeah. And yeah. so one of the interactions that, that I realized you guys put in after is if you're having a conversation with somebody, it doesn't show you alerts. And I don't, I don't know if it's through the voice, uh, through the microphone or whatever, but that one simple user interaction or taking that away really uh, was amazing. Because if I'm in a face-to-face -face conversation with somebody, the last thing I want is my messages popping up. And you know how annoying it is when people look at their Apple Watch when they're in the middle of a conversation, you're talking, and then all of a sudden they're looking at their Apple Watch and you just they just derailed your whole conversation. Yeah. Well, that's yeah. what you don't want with these glasses, and you guys have solved for that. Yeah, and this is it comes down to that core tenet too of looking like regular glasses. And mm -hmm. if you can have this these glasses that look just like regular glasses and the display is invisible and you can't tell that somebody's interacting with it because their arm is down by their side and they're controlling the loop. But if they have this this stare, <laughs> this look where they're clearly looking at you but not paying attention to you then it just ruins the whole thing too it is so such you... a weird phenomenon <laughs> i'm not gonna lie like you know i've done it on purpose to people like, just standing there looking at them and they're looking right at you but they're not they're looking right through you or like at the display that's kind of above your head <laughs> yeah what you're talking about is definitely one of those magical moments that our users really liked and they wanted more of and the other thing that people love so you know, in terms of how people are using this, it's about half of all of the uses of it are when the glasses prompt you and say, hey, you, you have a notification, a message from another person, a message from an app, notification for an app that uh, you have an appointment coming up or something like that. So half of all the times when the users use the glasses, they don't even initiate it. So we have to be so good at knowing when they want to use it and when they don't want to use it. And when we get that right, it's amazing because they get information and they're not even thinking that they might need it. So it's just at the right time. But if you do too much, then they're going to shut them off and they're not going to use yep. them. And that's going to be frustrating. So getting that right and understanding and what you talk about, we, we call context. So what is the user doing? Who are the environment? Yeah. What are they with? We have done a huge amount of extra work on context, both in you know the sensors and the hardware, but also in very intelligent artificial intelligence algorithms to detect more and more of your environment. And the other thing we use context for, so this is, again, when people do click the ring and they bring up the glasses, uh, which is about half of all interactions. Half the times they click the ring, they see exactly what they need on the home screen and they never go anywhere else. 
because the home screen is contextual too, because the home screen knows you have a calendar appointment coming up or you're playing Spotify music. You might want to see your music controls on the song, or this is kind of cool. I don't know if you've used them recently, but if you have a flight booked and you're at an airport, then it shows you, here's your gate, here's where you need to go. Oh man, that's like just that one feature alone. Yeah. Where the hell am I going in this airport? <laughs> it has a whole contextual airport experience when you're there too. And so being able to get it right when people click the glasses and they they bring up the home screen, they don't even have to go anywhere else. We've shown them exactly what they wanted to just with that alone. And then they close it down. When they click the glasses another half of the time, they're going to scroll through and they're going to choose the right application. So that's still pretty quick. But the bar, the thing we want to hit is that magical experience where the glasses either tell you what you want to know, or when you ask them something, they know exactly what you want. And being able to do that with a whole new variety of sensors that we're using and a lot more intelligence and just guessing what people want and giving it to them. This is, it, it's totally doable from a technology perspective. And I think the people are going to, I think everyone's going to love it with, with Gen 2. That's, that's one of the things that we've done the most with Gen 2 in terms of the user experience. So I'm, I'm glad you loved that conversation detection because that's, that's basically the direction we want to take the product. Yeah, I think this is more than a hardware product. This is more than a pair of glasses that you can put some data on. This is a new way to interact with data around you. And I love the simplicity of it. It doesn't have front-facing cameras. And I don't know, maybe Gen 2 does, but it's not trying to world map your whole view. It's just, it's like having a, an Apple Watch in a more convenient place. It's like having all the data that you would have on your watch where you don't have to look at your watch or pull out your phone. Or, it's really wonderful. I have to ask on behalf of everybody listening, when can we expect uh, V2 to drop? So it is going to be... Uh, still on track for sometime in 2020, there's going to be a, a definitely a gradual reveal here. So it's not just we're going to be quiet and you're not going to see anything and then they'll just appear one day. There will be opportunities for people to see more, maybe some previews. Um, we have, I mean, we have a lot of units that we're using right now and testing. The engineers are testing units for uh, functionality. The production people are testing the mass producibility and reliability. The product people are using them to develop software. Everybody's wearing them regularly in terms of our employees and some initial beta testers. And more and more will be revealed. Even before they actually go on sale, people will definitely be able to find out a lot more of them and hopefully even be able to get some demos. I would love to be part of that beta test. Just hint, hint, nudge, nudge. I'll, I'll pass that along. Awesome. Is there anything else you want to share with everybody before we, we wrap this up? Because this has been a fantastic interview here, and I think there's there's so much to unpack. And the North Focals 2 are coming this year in the year of 2020, which obviously makes sense. So I think people are, are going to get excited. And you said the similar price point around the, uh, I think, what are the other ones, $700? Yeah, I think it was... $5.99 was the base price and then $6.99 with prescription glasses. I'm not sure of what the price is going to be for. So under $1,000 for sure. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. definitely not, uh, not substantially different. An incredible success story coming out of Canada, which is cool. And I, I have to ask you, living 
uh, about 40 minutes away from the office. Uh, can I come for a tour? We are doing stuff like that once in a while. So I think we should get in touch with the production and marketing people and see if we can arrange something like that. If not, not a great time in the next two or three weeks. <laughs> Obviously not now. <laughs> but I actually, I actually think soon. I think, I think that'd be a lot of fun. That'd be great. I would love to do it and, and share the experience with everybody and show people what is a, a company developing the future of digital eyewear look like from the inside? What is the, the research lab uh, and, and what are the people doing there? I had an opportunity to go to the Magic Leap uh, head office and, and tour that. And unfortunately, I can't say anything or show any photos, but it was an amazing experience to see just the sheer numbers of people working on different parts of it, things you wouldn't even think of. You, you mentioned it earlier, just the voice detection, the AI, and there's so much going into this that's beyond just a pair of glasses with a display in them. And I think that's what's really important is that we're driving, you guys are driving the future of, of human interaction in augmented reality. Thank you so much, Stefan, for being a, an industry leader and a pioneer in this space. Hi, you're welcome. It's, uh, it's so much fun. With that, I'm going to ask you one last question, and then we'll wrap it up. What problem in the world do you want to see solved using XR technologies? Hmm, that's a great question. I, I've definitely thought about that from a lot of different perspectives, but in terms of a problem that wants to be solved, I, I think we have this issue right now where... And and no, like it, it's so true now, especially with the current health situation, where people are having to be distant socially from other people. And we always have this this conflict with our devices right now. Do I look at what's in front of me? Do I pay attention to this person that's in front of me? And do I kind of have my awesome experience of the real world? Or do I go into my digital world? Because I have a lot of information to manage there. I have a lot of people who I can only stay in touch with digitally at any given time. I have to choose right now to look at my phone, to look at my watch, or to look at the real world. And every time I'm doing one, I'm not doing the other. And I think there is this potential to not have that conflict anymore. Somebody that doesn't have to feel like they have to put their phone on vibrate or kind of lock it in a safe or something like that in order to be present. What if you could be present and connected and only get interrupted with what's essential and not get sucked into the kind of phone vortex that you have when you go to check a notification and you end up on Instagram for an hour. But what if you could have all the benefits of the connection of glasses, but without being distracted from what's in front of you right now and kind of bring the best simplest parts of your digital world into your reality in a way that wasn't in conflict. And I think that people could be more present and more connected with everybody, but also their experience of the real world wouldn't really be affected. And I, I, I think that would be, that would just be so cool if it could move in that direction. And that's, I think that's what a lot of people at North are very passionate about is not giving us another tech device, but essentially giving us a way to not have tech be so distracting. I love it. And we have to be very careful not to uh, let tech completely envelop us. So that's wonderful. Thank you, Stephen. That's great. Well, thanks a lot for having me on. Oh, it's my absolute pleasure. Thank you so much. And thanks everyone for listening. Please hit the subscribe button so you don't miss any future episodes. If you want to learn more about North Glasses, you can visit buynorth.com. Uh, this has been the XR for Business podcast. Being an influencer on LinkedIn in the XR field uh, really has opened up an opportunity 
for us to not only understand what corporations are looking for in virtual augmented mixed reality and artificial intelligence, but also from the aspect of the startup studios, developers, and enthusiasts out there and what they need. So what we decided to do after getting hundreds and hundreds of messages is to open up XR Ignite to the entire XR community of startups, studios, individuals, passionate people, and really to build a new community that brings together everybody who's passionate about this technology for a low cost and allow them to contribute, to learn, and to get better across the whole industry. That is really the reason why we started XR Ignite, to hyper-accelerate the XR for business industry, business and education. And one of the things that we just keep noticing is that there's so many resources out there. There's the VRAR Association, which we're partners with. There are you know, reports coming out daily, but there's no one source where people can come together and start just having conversations around how to get better in this industry. And that's why we started XR Ignite. I would encourage anybody who's listening to this podcast, if you're in the corporate side, if you're a startup, if you're an individual, if you're an enthusiast, sign up today at xrignite.com and you'll be getting access to new reports, investor lists, media lists, exclusive content, interviews with our mentors. We have over 56 mentors. And if you're a startup and you pay an annual fee, you'll actually have the opportunity to book a one-on-one, -on one-hour -one, one call with one of the mentors. What we're doing with that is we're actually recording those sessions, we're transcribing them, taking out any personal information, and we're making those transcripts available to all members. So I think XR Ignite is gonna drive a lot of value for anybody in this industry who's looking to up their game, and also for corporates who want a real insight as to what technology is coming out. So I would encourage everybody to sign up at xrignite.com, and I really look forward to driving value, executing on our mission to hyper-accelerate XR for business and education.